Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Shula Newman. The Missouri Historical Society is hosting a panel discussion next week on The Talk, that difficult conversation parents have with their children. But what The Talk is varies widely across race, gender, and cultural lines. It goes beyond just discussing adolescent changes or procreation. Many black parents talk to their kids about how to navigate a racist society. Daughters are often advised on what to wear, places to avoid while alone, and so much more. I encourage you to join our discussion. You can send us a message via Twitter at STL. On air. You can comment on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook group page or pick up a phone and call 314 382 8255. That's 382 Talk. Joining me in studio to talk about how parents approach these conversations are Evelyn Rice Peebles, Commissioner of Recreation for the City of St. Louis, and Erica Sandiford, who is on the Board of Directors of Cultural Leadership, a youth education and leadership nonprofit organization. They're both involved in the Women's Group on Race Relations, the organization that's sponsoring the event next week at the Missouri Historical Society alongside St. Louis Public Radio. It's titled The Talk, What All Our Children Need to Hear. Also joining the discussion is event panelist Faison Syed, who is the executive director of the Council on American Islamic Relations or CARE in St. Louis. Thank you all so much for joining. I Thank wanted you. to start with um, the basic definition. What do we mean when we say the talk? And uh, Eric, I'm going to ask you to start. For me, it's something that has to be discussed with all children who are from of black family. Um, what I remember, uh, it's, to me, it's, it's not new to me, but since Michael Brown, it's now gone public, gone viral. Everybody has to talk about it. It's to keep your kids safe. It's to um, keep them from getting I know, hurt in the streets. I, it's just something that we talk about now that used to be just discussed in the black families and the black communities. Now it's a thing. It's yeah. discussed everywhere. Yeah. Evelyn, do you want to add to that? Uh, yes, I agree. It's to keep our sons especially alive, particularly in a super segregated, very tense, racist environment like St. Louis is. We want to keep them alive and our daughters, and so we have to arm them of how to behave as they grow up and they're no longer cute little kids, but they are almost formidable now mm -hmm. as a young man or a young woman, particularly if they're of color. Mm -hmm. And Faison, for you, is it the same with your family? Yeah, I mean, just to build off what Erica said, see, when I grew up, I grew up here in Kirkwood. And when I was growing up, the way we learned history is that African-Americans were brought here as slaves. After that, there's a civil war. Um, there was Jim Crow, but then Martin Luther King came, gave I Have a Dream speech, and everything was cool. <laughs> everything was hanky-dory after that. And it was not until Michael Brown was shot that myself and people in our community were then forced to understand that the race problem and the race challenges and segregation uh, that existed did not go away, but was just under the surface. When we saw Michael Brown's body outside on the street for four hours before somebody even decided to be human enough to cover him with the bed sheet. And when that situation started, many people, uh, including in the Muslim community, we had this sense of just looking at the situation between Michael Brown and the police officer. And it took many months, even years, before people realized, well, actually, the reason people are protesting on the streets is because of economic disparities, because we still have a police department that arrests people and runs debtor prisons in, in our own community, uh, and so on and so forth. So I think that 
in reality, that incident now brought the issue of talking about race uh, to all of us. While before, when I was growing up, I never spoke about race in our community. It was more of a joke that we heard Chris Rocks talk about from here or there, but it wasn't something that was there that we actually had to address. Mm-hmm. So, um, Erica, you had mentioned that when you were growing up, you know, you had the talk, I assume Evelyn, you, what do you remember when your parents talked to you about it? Well, I think it was different uh, in the years when I was growing up than with my kids. I just remember if you were a black male, you especially had to be careful. I remember the same thing about with, with as my kids got older, actually it started when they were little kids. And we had an incident once when they, we were in a car, in my, in my husband's car in Frontenac at the, a car dealer. And it was dark, but you, you know how you sometimes will have to go um, and you don't want to get up in the morning and put your car into the service, so you go at night. Right. So my youngest, I think, was maybe even still in a car seat. So the police came up and said, what are you doing? What's going on? And, of course, my husband was like, you know, ex- ex- what do you think we're doing? We're putting the car in. I, we have little kids in the back seat. And I remember ranting and raving the entire drive home, and my youngest said, I don't get it. What's wrong with being black? And that freaked me out because right. I said, okay, wait, let me take this to a different place. So that's what I remember with my kids. And then as they got older and started to drive, I remember I had to, I was afraid that they'd be pulled over. And I made sure that the driver's license and the insurance for their license was a big piece of paper, Mm -hmm. not that little thing in your wallet, and that you put it in the dashboard. So just in case they got stopped. So there was just all, it was just always a continuing worrisome thing with them being out there. So that and and many other things, I think they thought I was just being too strict on them and I was just old fashioned until they got older. And now my oldest son tells me he carries this thing in his wallet that says what to do in the case you're stopped by the police. Wow, that's that's intense. So that Mm -hmm. sunk in. What about for you, Evelyn? Yes, I uh, intentionally talked to our sons, uh, my former husband and I, and it's a difficult thing because you recognize that you are siphoning off part of their innocence and part of their youth. I had to say, you're, you're a black man, and that's a wonderful thing, but everyone doesn't think so. There will be people who are uncomfortable if you look them straight in the eye. They want a black person to drop their head. Don't you dare drop your head. But also, if you go in Deerberg's, take this $20 bill, Put it in your hand and walk around with it so they don't pull you over for shoplifting. Let them know that you have money. And if you get in trouble, they will take white children home and they will take you to jail. You will not be treated the same. And you mustn't hate, but at the same time, be very clear. You are a young black man in a very racist situation wherever you are, whatever you do. You can't drive over the speed limit. If a policeman stops you, say, yes, sir, no, sir. What do you want, sir? Make sure he can see your hands at all times. And um, they were kind of incredulous, like... Your children were? My children were. And they were hurt Mm -hmm. because it's not such a happy place when you recognize the rules aren't the same. Yeah, that's one of one of the questions I have. Aside from just you know, how do your how did your children receive them? You know, receive the message when when you're talking to a little boy. 
you know, when your son was, mm-hmm. you know, four years old or however old he was when he says, I don't get it. What what was his reaction? What, what did you say to him and what was his reaction? Do you well, I, as soon as I said that and he well, as soon as he said that, I knew I had to take it down a little bit and sort of talk to him, even though he was a little boy, that there's nothing wrong with being black, first of all. But mm-hmm. it was it's basically to protect you, to make sure it, and I, it's not easy to do that because I felt I felt the same way, like I'm taking away their innocence. And I know I was constantly saying, you can't do with your what your white friends do. You can't always go where they go and act like they act. And that that's painful. So for a little guy, it's I don't think they get it. I think even today um, that still bothers them that they had to grow up like that because they were raised in pretty privileged environment. Mm-hmm. And so that was why they didn't get it, because they're like, well, other people are doing this. Why do we have to do this? And so it's hard because of how they were raised and where they were raised. Mm-hmm. So I I um, uh, have I think I, I know that there are some people who say I am not going to have this talk with my child because I don't want to plant the seed of fear in them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to plant negativity and assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that's wrongheaded? Um. I do, yes, but it's each parent has to make their own individual decision. What I told my sons is when the average white person looks at you, they cannot distinguish you from a thug. They don't know that you are a seventh grader and that you make good grades and you go to church and you worship the Lord and you're a good person. You look like the thug that they saw on television who shoplifted somewhere. And they're not going to bother to find out the difference. And I always told them, be free and happy when you're in a black environment. When you are in a mixed environment, you have to be aware and cognizant that you're regarded differently. And I, and I always said, I am not saying white people are bad and black people are good. I'm saying that as a black man, you have to be aware of how you behave in white situations. Faison, are you communicating the same way with your children? Are you giving the same messages? In a way, but a little bit different. So for the Muslim community, we live in a society that's also growing more Islamophobic. And because of that, actions of being Muslim in public or being perceived to be Muslim can also have adverse effects. In St. Louis, we've had people call the police on Muslims who are praying in public. We've had situations where uh, law enforcement... If a crime happens against a Muslim person, they take it very mildly. Like in Columbia, Missouri, just last week, a man pulled a gun on a Muslim mother and her two children. And then the officer that responded basically said, we're going to try to catch the guy to stop this silliness, right? And that's how the officer responded to that situation. So the conversation we have is is similar to, you know, be mindful that you are Muslim in a society that doesn't necessarily understand your faith, doesn't understand your ethnicity, that if you speak a different language in public, you might be looked at uh, adversely, and those are conversations we need to have at a very, very young age. Even um, right now, my kids, we live in Ferguson, we live in North County, and I really like living in that area because it's much more diverse than Kirkwood, where I grew up. So at least when I, I bought that house there, I wanted to live in an area where they see people of different backgrounds on a daily basis, not assume that everybody is one specific color. That way they can hopefully grow up in an environment that I didn't grow up in. Right. 
Um, we actually need to take a quick break here. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. But before we go, I do want to invite our listeners to the conversation. If you have a question or comment for our guests, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. You can email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. But we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be back in a minute to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Shula Newman. Let's continue our conversation about an upcoming event at the Missouri History Museum with St. Louis Public Radio. It's titled The Talk, What Are what all our children need to hear. It will touch on the difficult conversations parents have um, with their children, which varies widely across race, gender, and cultural lines. Um, when we left out, we, we were talking with you, Faison, Faison about um, about the the sort of dismissive attitude that people seem to have towards Muslims and some problems that they have. Do you warn your children in any way? Do you tell them, you know, don't do this or do do that to protect yeah, them? Yeah, so when I speak to my kids and even I speak to our youth group, we have to be very straightforward in letting them know that, you know, the society that they live in. The challenge that they have is not only do they find people that are dismissive of the challenge that Muslim Americans face, but also in politics. When they watch CNN, they are constantly barraged with this being associated with terrorism, being associated with countries that are being invaded by the United States. I have many friends of mine who are from Afghanistan, and they've witnessed their country being invaded, occupied, but yet they're looked at as the threat. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the hardest things is that for our community, being guilty by association and then having to defend yourself and defend international policy and so on, it becomes um, quite a challenge for people to really be able to fit in. Mm, I bet. Um, we have a, a caller, actually. I'm glad that somebody that I, I encourage people to call in and join this conversation. And uh, Joe from South St. Louis has called in. Um, Joe, what what is your comment or question? Uh, well, I'm a white male, former police officer, and the whole Michael Brown situation to me, while tragic, I mean, it was initiated by Michael Brown. The police had stopped him originally for walking down the middle of the street, and then subsequently he was, you know, a suspect in a strong-arm robbery. And then he initiated the conflict. I mean, So walking down the middle of the street is a crime? No, no, I'm not saying it's a crime. Do you think he would have been, if he had been... Ma'am, can I talk for a second? Sure. If if you don't mind, if you you don't mind. I can't put myself in your place being a white male, but certainly the statistics prove that your talk should be expanded, that your own neighborhoods, when you said that be free and happy in your own neighborhood, that's where most of the killings are occurring. It's not the police killing the innocent black males, it's... Black males killing black males. Okay, Joe, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there because you've um, brought up a lot of issues that I am sure um, our guests yeah. have heard, and I want to give them a chance to respond. Uh, Evelyn, um, actually, I agree with some of what you've said. In that, when I talk to my sons, I talk about the threat all around them, the threat from their own, the threat from whites the threat from certain girls, uh, the threats of society in general. Um, What I say in the Women's Group for Race Relations to questions and comments like yours, uh, if Michael Brown had been a white girl walking down the middle of the street, would things have happened in the way that they did? 
And that's what we do. Um, it's not about hate. I'm not angry at anyone. I don't like injustice. I don't dislike any particular group of people. But you're right in that we have danger in our own neighborhoods, but it's a different danger. If you look at the police statistics specifically, most of the killings happen either around drug relationships that have gone bad or domestic relationships or robberies in and between and amongst other drug dealers. Less than 40% of the fatalities occur against innocent bystanders. So pretty much people who go home in the evening, and there are of course exceptions, but people who go home in the evening and aren't involved in the street life are not as likely to be hurt as they are in the white community because we sort of know, we know the criminals from the non-criminals. Unfortunately, for the most part, white people do not. Just to add on to what was said by the caller earlier, there's this rhetoric that said, well, what about black-on-black crime, which is what the caller alluded to. The challenge that I put to that is that that, that whole argument falls apart because African-Americans are not killing other African-Americans in the city of St. Louis or wherever because they're black. They're doing it because a series of things such as drug-related issues, poverty, systematic, uh, generational poverty, and so on and so forth that happens. However, when police officers shoot African-Americans, especially young black kids, it is a result of internal bias that they have, of systematic oppression that they have. You also have police officers who do not live in the neighborhood that they service, and they look at everybody as criminals, and that's the difference. And I think that when we have these type of conversations, we have to be able to compare it more accurately rather than just saying, well, what about black-on-black crime and things of that nature, which I don't think stands up. I, I want to take one more call, and then I, I have another question for you. But this is Andre. He wants to talk about his experience about how he grew up. Hi, Andre. Good morning, all, or good afternoon, whatever it is. <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> uh, first of all, I grew up in the Ville, uh, lived there most of my life. And I grew up uh, the product of what was basically a segregated environment. Uh, I went to segregated schools. They were not segregated by law at that time. It was just what you call it, uh, de jure segregation. Yeah. Uh, it was because of where we, where we chose to congregate. Honestly, I'm grateful for that. I would not have wanted it to be any other way. When children grow up in environments where they don't see reflections of self, positive and negative, it handicaps them. When parents, like the, the one uh, uh, lady said, when parents decide that, well, I won't have this talk with my child, that's one of the worst things you could possibly do because you, I would call that child abuse because the last thing we don't need is one more black person, male or female, being turned out who is unequipped to handle this society and his place in it. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how much money you have. This society only sees black. Hmm. I didn't make it that way, but it is that way. That's the reality we have to live with. And that's the message that, that you received and that you have taught your children, I assume? I don't have children, but it is the message that I received, yes, from the time I was old enough to understand the word. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, (laughs) once, I think I was like four years old, four, maybe six, my grandfather telling me, 
he pointed to the door. He said, you, you see that door over there? Yes. Well, don't you ever forget, nobody is in love with you on the other side of that door. Nobody on the other side of that door gives a damn about you but us. That's great he story. made that perfectly clear. Yeah. Yeah. I think you it's child abuse not to teach a black child these things. Well, well, thank you, Andre. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your, your experience, and, and that's a, I love that anecdote as well. Um, Erica, do you want to respond or add on? I saw you shaking your head a lot. No, I, I agree with him. You cannot decide I'm not going to have this talk. I do, I do know people believe that that is a negative, and my kids probably would have agreed with that at the time, too, because, I, like I said before, they didn't believe me. So, no, you have to have the talk, and I think when they get to a certain age, they will appreciate it. They'll understand that it's about love. It's about making sure somebody is watching out for you. And like his, his grandfather told him, outside that door, nobody likes you. <laughs> nobody loves you like we do. Right, so. right. So as your children get older, um, you know, your, your sons, your daughters— does it change, like when they're in their late teens, when they're in their 20s? Do you still have to have the talk once they're in their 20s? I feel like I do. I have a son that lives um, in California, and he walks by himself a lot. And I hear, you know, sometimes I hear police sirens, and I'm like, what, what's going on? You know, why are you, what is that? He goes, oh, they're passing by me and, and everything. And I think there is, I don't think they have the same fear that I have because they're not parents. Mm-hmm. And um, but I do think you the talk never ends. Mm-hmm. It, it's from when they're young until they're adults, and it just doesn't end. Great. Um, I have another question. So, you know, for white parents, when you say the talk, they think you're talking about sex um, and procreation. Um, but what advice would you have for white parents? Because it seems like they should have this conversation with their children as well, right? Yes. Um, White parents can, and they do play such a big role, one of their jobs is not to rear their children with racist attitudes, if at all possible. So one of the things that white parents need to do is say to their children, you know, when you go to school, be pleasant to everyone or be nice to who's nice to you. Or they may say something like, um, I notice you never have any of your Muslim friends over, or any of your Hindu friends, or do you have any African-American friends, or why is that? Do you not make friends at school? And just to have the conversation. The worst thing I think that parents and families do is not talk about race. We have to talk about it. It's not going anywhere, particularly in St. Louis. And I think also white parents can say, you know, there are certain things that you can do that aren't really nice. I've seen you I've seen you with other girls and I've seen how you treat her because perhaps she's a little heavier because people show their bias in lots of ways and young people can be very unkind and I think white parents need to watch their children and encourage them to be welcoming to all, to be fair to all, to think about what they say, uh, to think about gossiping and things like that, and bullying, not to be a bully. Yeah. Um, we have another caller, uh, Pesha from South St. Louis. I think she's picking up on something you had said earlier, Evelyn, um, about uh, who who receives the talk. Uh, hi, Pesha, you're on the air. Hi, thank, hi, thank you. 
Um, well, my question, it, it's a question and a comment rolled up in one. Um, even growing up myself, my brothers were always given the talk, but I necessarily wasn't. And I had a conversation just last week with someone who was talking about how our black boys are under threat. And I said, well, you know, what about our black girls? Mm. And he was like, well, it's not as bad for them, um, mm. which very well may be true, but it doesn't mean that a threat doesn't exist. So I was wondering if you can comment for the parents out there, um, like myself, who has a daughter who's about to start driving, um, different mm. approaches when um, gender is involved, because we do know that, you know, young women are murdered by the thousands every year, too, by um, law enforcement. Um, and if not uh, something like murder, there is the threat of harassment and trauma. So if you could just speak to that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yes, I think it's very important for girls. I I think uh, in St. Louis particularly, the crime against and by girls is growing a bit. We have more girl gangs. And I think uh, what I would say to a daughter, particularly if she's driving, and they would probably hate it, always take a friend, go very few places alone, be careful of, uh, and again, they would hate it, how revealing your clothing is. If you don't want certain reactions, then you need to carry yourself in a certain way. If you don't want to be treated a certain way, don't look like it. And the people you see in the videos, they're in a studio or they're being chauffeured around. You are driving yourself. You cannot look like that. And I also think having a parent have a phone number where to reach you, or a signal. I used to tell my children to say to me if they went to an overnight party, if they felt afraid or if there were drugs or alcohol, anything was going wrong, call me up and just say, hey, Betty, I'm not feeling my best right now. <laughs> and I know that means come and get me. That's wonderful. And so develop some codes so that if the daughters are in a, tough situation because situations change so quickly you know this guy seems like a friend all of a sudden he's not and you need a code so that you can let each other know they can let you know if you need to come and get them uh, we have time for one more caller um, this is Mike from St. Louis hi Mike you're on the air hi I just had to say this because of uh, another comment I heard I I used to do real estate photography. I drove all over the city and, and all over North St. Louis. And my first day out there, I was a little bit apprehensive. But once I got going, I, I really enjoyed it. And often I would run into a situation where, uh, like one time my car was breaking down in a very, very bad, bad neighborhood. Now, clearly, it's, it's a bad for anybody. And, and I was, it was getting towards evening. And I thought, oh, God, i got to get out and see what smoke's coming from. And I, before I could even get out of my truck young black guy came running between the alley with a hose and offering me water. And, and that's the kind of experience I, I had most of the time. That's nice. That's a good story. Um, I want to get back because we're going to have to wrap up our conversation here. So I want to talk about um, the panel itself that's happening next week. Um, I'm wondering uh, who, who else is being represented on this panel? It's not just uh, African-American people of color. Right. It's also, um, I'll be at the panel. So the idea is to really expand the conversation to not only the talk with African-American, but also other minority groups and other groups that also have to have the talk in order for them to be able to teach their children how to grow up in, an, in America with still race, bias, and these things are still very systematic. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's also, we're looking at gender issues mm. and uh, young people who are making decisions about gender and how they dress and where they go and who they choose to socialize with and the lifestyle they want to lead. That also engenders bias from certain people. So they also need to be cautious, be aware, be conscious of their surroundings because everyone is not welcoming. Mm -hmm. So I think next week our discussion is going to cover a very wide range of issues that parents will face as they rear young people to go out in this world and be happy but also be safe. And Erica, I'm going to give you the last word. What do you hope that people will take away from the conversation next week? I talk about this all the time. I think we need to have, we need to make sure we keep the talk going, even though I can say I'm tired of it. You know, everybody, we've talked about it since forever and ever, mm -hmm. but I feel like it's very important and I want to encourage people who don't want to talk about it and don't have to have that talk to attend this type of an event. I have a lot of white friends when Michael Brown started they just didn't understand it. They'd never had to worry about that. They couldn't believe it, that these are the things I was worried about. So I want to see, I don't want it to just be people coming who, you know, we're preaching to the crowd. I wanted to, I want to see everybody out there. I want to see people who never have to think about it uh, or worry about that kind of thing. Great. We've obviously just scratched the surface here. Um, so I highly encourage people to go to the event. I want to first thank our guests, Evelyn Rice Peebles, Erica Sandiford, and Faison Syed. Thank you so much for joining us um, for their upcoming event, which is called The Talk. What All Our Children Need to Hear is taking place at the Missouri History Museum next Tuesday evening. And you can find out more about that on our website, stlpublicradio.org. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.